0: Welcome to another edition of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley and with me is Derek Specht for another fun-filled hour. Um, how's your week been, Derek? It's been pretty good. It's uh, vacation week for me. Oh yeah, you're on vacation. I still got time till I go on vacation. <laughs> I got a couple weeks. No, I got what, a week and a half, I guess, till I'm on vacation. Ah, uh, yes, the big trip. The big trip to Iceland. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for it. And then we get back and we're we're going to go on a Canoe trip, but you can't now.
1: Well, I don't know if I can. I'm going to try to. You it's don't know. You are, you're not. I, I volunteered for something at work and uh, it would be really rude for me to say, oh, by the way, thanks for letting me do this thing at work, but uh, I'm going to go and leave you right out the first day. Well, I don't <laughs> see an issue with that. <laughs> anyway,
0: um, going to take my son Mackenzie and we're going to go to the French River. Yes. We talked about it. Uh, a couple of shows ago, and said, "You know what? We need to get back up there." And I think we're, yeah, that's where we're gonna we're gonna go. We're gonna hit Algonquin Park again, but uh, I think, yeah, we're we're gonna do the French River.
1: Try new areas. Yeah. Expand your yeah. horizons.
0: Yeah. Well, every time I do that, I always end up spending a lot of money and going <laughs> so far afield it takes me three days to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's our, our big trip is to Iceland. There in a in a week and a half, we're going up that way and. I'm hoping to be able to maybe get out on the, the water and do a bit of uh, kayaking while I'm there, uh, which is, would be cool. Cause I haven't seen a single canoe in everything, all the stuff I've looked at about Iceland, no canoes. It's all kayaks.
1: Yeah, you're <laughs> no, gonna try no, and no stand up
0: paddle boards, no nothing. There's, and there's a kayak, there's, though, right? there's, there's, uh, kayak tour companies there. Yeah. So I've been touching base with a couple of them there and uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get out for the day and I'll have to bring my recorder maybe sit down and chat with them about, uh, Iceland and uh, all the kayaking that goes on up there.
1: I discovered a uh, inflatable stand up paddle board that you could pack into your luggage. Yeah, but you gotta blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you you, you you're a Thermarest, you uh, used to that.
0: Yeah, it's it self inflates most. <laughs> a paddleboard. <laughs> he's in there blowing that up for a week. Oh man. Um. So. I've been thinking about a few things here. I, there's a bunch of people I follow on, uh, on the internet, uh, Instagram and Facebook, you know, all the social media stuff. And there's a few people that I follow that have taken canoeing and kayaking way beyond what most people do. And I've been, i was going to run it by you here. At what point do you go from well i'm buying a canoe cuz i'm interested in it and i'm going to paddle around my local lake what what are the how do i say this the processes to which your canoeing and kayaking evolve where you take it beyond those
1: that little lake Right. I don't think that's something that we could get into in, in a normal discussion. That's like the thin line between crazy and sane sometimes, depending on what well, the Well, I'll take the crazy <laughs> side. <laughs>
0: you can take the sane side. <laughs>
1: um,
0: just because of these people, and I'm going to get into these three, I'm not going to tell you who these three people are that been, I've been watching here lately. Um, or not lately, but uh, over the last while. Um, but I see them and what they've done. And I, I think at some point... That's exactly what they did. Somebody said, hey, jump into the canoe with me here or here, I'll teach you how to kayak. And they've just did it, you know, like on a river or or the shore, you know, like on a lake or something and said, hey, you know what? This is pretty cool. And they've just evolved Mm -hmm. from there. Um, I mean, myself, I mean, we, we had canoes when we were teenagers and, and uh, you know, I had to sit in the middle and, of my two brothers paddled and at one point it's just like, you know what? I really enjoy the canoeing, but I'd rather do it without my brothers and I don't want to <laughs> s- s- sit in the middle and, uh, you know. That sounds quite normal. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, ended up getting my own canoe and, where my wife and I and my fiance at the time, um, ended up getting a canoe and, you know, we'd take it camping and we paddle around the campground lake and, and whatnot. And we did that for a couple of years. And then at one point it just all of a sudden evolved where I was canoe tripping. Mm -hmm. I was doing solo trips. I was doing trips with friends and, you know, it just uh, got a whole bunch of new people in, in my life to do the trips with and stuff. Um, So it grew from there and I'm still doing that. I like going out in the canoe by myself with people in groups. I like doing the canoe tripping and all that sort of stuff. And right now, I mean, I've got into the radio show here, but there are people that take it much farther. Taking it to the next level. They're taking that passion and that drive for, and the enjoyment of paddling Mm -hmm. and being on the water. And they're just taking it to those, to, to that next level. Um, now, I mean, I've sort of stopped at canoe tripping and, and, and whatnot, but Uh, what point do you all of a sudden say, you know what, like you're going to do guiding and you're going to start teaching. And I mean, there's, there's one fellow I I was introduced to a while ago and we're trying to get him onto the show here, but he has taken his love for kayaking. And I mean, he's kayaked everywhere. And he now down at Toronto Harbor, uh, part of the, I think the Toronto, um, uh, canoe kayak club. He teaches disabled people to kayak, which is, Mm -hmm. that's that's not something normal people, well, I shouldn't say normal people, but that's not a normal thing to do when you're thinking of kayaking or or canoeing, right? So you get into the guiding, the teaching, but then you get another group that all of a sudden said, you know what, I like going fast. (laughs) And all of a sudden, they're doing the racing, the kayak and canoe racings, and you end up with people like Adam Vancouver in Mark Aldershot that are going to the Olympics to race canoes and kayaks and and whatnot. Then uh, you get as we've discussed, we had a, we, we had an episode before where we talked about freestyle canoeing, or sorry, kayaking. Um, at what point are you in one of these kayaks? tootling around on a little tame river. And then next thing you know, you've just evolved into these massive waves and doing tricks and flips. And I mean, we went through 500 different trick names that they're doing. You know, it's that passion and that drive. And I've been following this, um, these people and seeing, you know what? There is more to canoeing, kayaking and paddling of all types than just
1: getting out on the lake getting out on a river. And oftentimes I think with, with a lot of these people that you're talking about, whether it's sport or whether it's epic trips or whatever, it, it often comes down to time, opportunity, skill, like people like Adam Vancouverden, like this is something he tried probably out of high school. I'm not sure of his history, but he found he had a certain skill, ability and a desire and he was enjoyed going fast, he enjoyed the competition. And whereas other people may have had the opportunity, but didn't, wasn't really into the competition part of it. Or if, if somebody's going to do some sort of epic, you know, huge trip that might take months, that's, that's time and opportunity. That's you, you have the opportunity and you have the time to do it. This is not like, I couldn't do it because I can go and get away from work for a week at a time type thing. Right. So it's time and opportunity and and sometimes even like some of these uh, longer trips, it's really not even a financial aspect because it, tripping on some of these bigger trips, like there might be some logistics that you might have to overcome, but it's not that expensive. So well, it, it's, some of them I mean, are depending. But yeah. Like you're, I'm not talking a trip down the Amazon. I'm talking like if you're gonna do a you know circle Algonquin Park or whatever, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, I think I think. And I mean, I think if I'm looking at myself and and the people I hang with and paddle with and stuff, I think a lot of them would love to do and take it that extra level, that extra, um, distance and and evolve their paddling into something beyond what it is now. But yeah, time is a huge issue with that.
1: It is. And I, I think it's one of the core issues.
0: I mean, when I was younger, it was like, oh man, I wish I could afford this and I wish I could afford that. And You had the you time, know, just no money. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't have the career and all yeah. that sort of stuff, no kids and, and whatnot. So yeah, you know, you've got the, the time to do it, but you don't have the money. And now it's, you know, we're older, we got the, the house, the kids, the cars, the jobs, the this, that, and the other things. And, you know, got the nice canoes and, and all the camping gear and, and everything like that. And you just don't have the time. You know, you're working Monday to Friday, you know, nine to five. And then we got stuff after work and, and whatnot. And, and you start looking, it's like, man, if I had the time. And I think that's the big thing with, with, uh, with us right now, um, is the
1: time. But there's the people out there that do have the time. They make the time. Yeah. Some people have the passion for it where they make the time. They, uh, there's a couple, uh, people at work. They're, uh, they're going to take six months off of work. Like they're having a baby and normally you, you have a baby, the the, the the wife takes the maternity leave, the the father takes the paternity leave and maybe three weeks, two weeks. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Both of them have saved up and they're both going to take, I think she's going to take the full time, but he's going to take a good six or eight months himself off and it's like, whoa, that's a, that's a huge commitment to be away Big from time. work, right? There's yeah. huge financial losses there, right? So, but that's where you make a commitment to do something. And they're going to trip. They're going to travel the world. Stuff oh, like that. that's not bad.
0: But yeah, I mean, uh, if you can do that and you plan for it and stuff, right? Uh-huh.
1: So but that's what I'm saying. Some of these people, they, they make the time. They have the passion to make the time to take it to that next step. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, you, I mean, if you want to look at it uh, from another aspect as well, you get the rafting companies. What, what, do you wake up one day and, and think, you know what? I'm gonna buy a whole bunch of rafts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, if they, if you build it, they will come. It's it's that simple. It's that simple. That's yeah. how you start a company. Oh, I'm just gonna buy a whole bunch of rafts. Yeah, and it, it's just being, I guess, the
0: opportunity, right? So, dude, you live in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I guess rafts aren't in. Uh, but yeah, I I just been, it's it's. Uh, they the other, uh, another total aspect is you get guys like Jeff McMurtry, mm-hmm. Jeff's maps. Yes. And he's into the canoeing and he's in the tripping and the, you know, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. But what he's doing isn't necessarily taking his paddling to the next level. But he's taken a passion. But he's taken the passion for something to do with paddling. Yes. To the next level. And he's got Jeff's maps.
1: And he started on such a, it was such a small thing. Like he, uh, he got in, I think it was Red Pine Bay. He was telling me he got in there and he was trying to find a portage and he paddled around for an extended period of time and the portage wasn't where the map said it was. Yeah. So he found that so frustrating, the inaccuracies that he keeps coming across on all of these available maps and it's not like he, he's um he's not a map maker. He's, he's, he didn't have any previous experience. He, but he developed the skills. He mm-hmm. developed, he got into the software and he created an entire map of Algonquin Park that surpassed anything that's ever been out there.
0: Yeah. it's It's like a culmination of all these different maps and all these different aspects of them
1: you know, from canoe routes and
0: portages and historical bits and old, you know, hand-me-down maps that have
1: come yeah, from he, back in the day. he located some map by auction. He mm-hmm. uh, begged, borrowed, stole. He he would go to old archives and get scans of these like late 1800 maps of, of different areas. And he would, it's, he, his passion for it is actually absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of these things that I'm finding when you start getting into the canoeing and the paddling and the kayaking, the all of that, the amount of people that are out there, yeah, there's, there's a large chunk and that's all they do. They like to go out and be on the water. Yes. And that's the extent of it. They like to get out there on the water, sit by a fire beside their camp, you know, at the campsite and, you know, look up at the stars. That is it. That's what they enjoy. And there is nothing wrong with that. But there's those other ones that
1: go beyond that. Yes. And they just take, yeah, they
0: just have that passion. What's and around just, that next bend?
1: Yeah. What's that next lake look like? And so they take that passion and they end up doing this epic, you know, four month long trip somewheres. And it's, it's just, I find it amazing that somebody can want to see the next bend in that next river. And it was such a great desire that they just keep going.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you the, one of the first guys that's actually, um, I've been following lately is Drew Chernick. Um, he worked at, for eight years, he was in Algonquin Park at Camp Amec. And you, you've probably seen him if you're on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, 100 lakes in 100 days. And he says that he, he worked at Amec, Camp Amec for eight years and he's had access to a cottage on Canoe Lake for 11 years. And he really hasn't seen as much of Algonquin Park as you'd think he would see. Um, and based on that, he decided, you know what? I love this so much and getting on the water. I love paddling. He's challenged himself to paddle 100 new lakes in 100 days this summer. And he's, I think he's up to about 80 lakes now. And he plans to be done by uh, September 1st. So he's got a couple couple uh, well, a few weeks left. Um, but that's one of the things he's now taken his, his passion for canoeing and he's actually set himself a goal to do something besides just paddle around.
1: And, and that, I think that's the key. You, you create this internal goal for yourself. You create this mindset and it's, once you create that goal for yourself, if you're a goal oriented person, that's the drive. That's what yeah. takes you to the next level. Well, and
0: I I would be interested to see what he does after this, because, you know, if he's been there for so long and he's, you know, yeah, now he's all of a sudden he's going, you know what? I'm going to do a hundred lakes in a hundred days. Well, where does he go from there?
1: All of the lakes. <laughs> you know, like does <laughs> he do
0: a hundred new lakes next year? Does he do a hundred lakes in, or, or 50 lakes in Four parks or.
1: I think the next logical step for him, well, for me, you want to, if that was me and if I did a hundred lakes, a hundred days in Algonquin Park, the next logical step for me, what I would be doing is I'm going to visit every single accessible canoe trippable lake within Algonquin Park.
0: And. There's 1500 lakes in Algonquin Park.
1: 1500. So you may take four years.
0: Well, if he's doing a hundred and a hundred, that's going to take 15 years. <laughs> So, but no, that's exactly it. I mean, guys like this, you know, he's now taken, well, this is my area. This is where I am all the time. Well, let's just set ourselves a goal and and take that passion and that drive for canoeing. Boom. He's just evolved into something different.
1: There's a whole realm of people who do this kind of thing. They are like for mountaineering, they call it peak bagging. If people want to hit, you know, there's uh like, a, there's a top five, there's a top 10, there's a top 15 mountain peaks. You, you, you you're talking like, uh, within North America, mm-hmm. outside North America, you're talking Everest and, and stuff like that. And a lot of these people, it's like, oh, I'm going to hit 25 peaks in my lifetime or whatever. Yeah. So it's that for, for, uh, Drew Chernick, it's, he wants to f- find all these Algonquin Park lakes. Other people, it's peak bagging.
0: Yeah. Well, like I say, I, I, he should be able to do his 100 lakes in 100 days. Yes, yeah, I mean, he's,
1: he's, he's so. going to be there. He, his goal is by September 1st, I believe.
0: Yeah. So like I say, I, I'll be interested to see what he, uh, if this is it or if he continues on.
1: What his next, next goal? Year. Yeah. yeah. I want to know what his next goal is.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's local. Then we get a guy and we've talked about him a few times. Um, he, I know he's well- on his, well, he's past Thunder Bay, Sault St. Marie. He's well on his way in, into Ontario. Mike Ranta. Um, Mike is already the first person to cross North America solo by canoe in one season. And now he's doing it a second time.
1: Technically is he solo because he has his dog with him. Well, that's the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Although the dog isn't helping him much. No. Um. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, he's got no support crew with him. There's no team traveling alongside him in a car or anything. Um, It's just him and his dog. Now there was an episode a couple weeks back where they ended up um, tipping.
1: Yes. He overturned in some, he he got off balance. He was in a a little bit of white water, tipped over, rolled and spitzy his dog. uh, He got, he got separated from his dog.
0: Yeah, everybody got to shore, but then I guess Spitzy was spooked or something and took off. And uh, yeah, it took him a good day to find her. And mm-hmm. uh, but I guess she was down by some rapids where she couldn't hear him calling. But uh, everything turned out turned out well. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it may have turned out totally different. Yeah, it's you not know, like he has a support
1: know. crew to. You know, I, I guess his was it his brother came out to help him find Spitzy.
0: Uh, I think was uncle, he, he's got a bunch of family up that way. Yeah. So She's anyway, from, I mean, he's, he's from Attacokin, right? In the end, it worked out. Yeah. But what, what makes you think, well, you know what? I'm going to travel across Canada <laughs> by canoe. And then you do it and you think, hey, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> what are the thought processes? You know, where do you go from enjoying canoeing to wanting to travel all
1: across a country. An epic distance like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've heard stories of voyageurs who used to travel all different corners of, of the continent. And for me, it was like, well, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and then Mike Ranta does it. It's like, well, that's, that's impressive. Good for him. I'm not going to do that but it's really interesting to follow his trip. I've, f- I've, I've been tracking him since he started and it, it's really interesting to, to hear about his progress and how he's doing and how he's over, overcoming his difficulties. Well, yeah.
0: And I mean, there, there, he does have issues once in a while and he's got, uh, I know on Superior, Lake Superior, the North End, he was, um, wind bound, uh, on some days and yeah, there was some issues going on there, but. You know, back you know a couple hundred years ago, when everybody was cruising by canoe, uh, exploring and and mapping the country, and trapping and, and hunting, trapping, and... hunting, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, you, you're being asked by the government to cruise across Canada in a canoe and map it. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. No, no. So <laughs> that that exploration exploration um, drive and Gene, I don't know if there, you know, if it's a gene or what, but it's in there and it's to drive certain people to do stuff like this. Um, so he's doing that and he's, yeah, he's he's cruising right across the country. Um, on a scale between Drew Chernick going through Algonquin Park and Mike Ranta cruising across Canada, you get people like we talked. Uh, last week, Lynette and Lester.
1: Yeah, Lynette and Lester. Uh, yeah, Lazo you know, Kovacs.
0: Yeah, they just canoed across the Ungava Peninsula up in northern Quebec.
1: And that—that's an epic trip all on its own. Yeah, that, like you're so remote, you're exposed to so many natural dangers in and, in and, and weather, and like you follow their uh, their trip. That he was updating his uh, he he was doing daily twice daily updates to his website he wrote some a software script that updated the map and you you can click on the map and you know he'll say we we stopped somewhere for lunch or we did some whitewater, we we found a spot that's uh full of goose poop for camping at night and whatever anyways they they started out their well he they're from Serbia, Sarajevo? Serbia, yeah, I think Serbia, yeah. So the, anyways, they're over there. Unfortunately, I can't remember exactly where it's from, but they came, They emigrated to Canada in the uh, mid to late 90s. And uh, he, was, he was heavily into hiking over there. So when he came to Canada, well, he came to Ontario and you, there's not a lot of miles around here, to be honest. So they started, uh, they naturally uh, gravitated to canoe tripping. And uh on on their Lynette and Lester's trips you can see you can almost see the metamorphosis as they went deeper and deeper into some real epic trips. So just you know, they they did the Tim River in Algonquin Park and then Des Moines River in Quebec and Missinabe River in Ontario and they they started doing these longer and more epic trips. And they the they ended up doing, oh, out west in the Northwest Territories, like, you know, three, four week trips, uh, the Angava Peninsula in 2011 and then again this year. That's a month long trip. Yeah, 30 days. And they're not being resupplied halfway through. Mm-hmm. They are carrying 30 days worth of supplies and you, you read their trip reports and they, they are eating a lot of fish. Like they are catching fish. They can, they pretty much have fish every meal. They're. vegetarians. Yes. <laughs> So I think that you, for a 30 day trip without being able to be resupplied, you are counting on catching fish. Yeah. Like the you're you have to. Yeah. And, uh, and where they are themselves, like on the Angava Peninsula, they, they do have uh, I think they have a a rifle for protection, but they also, you know, they all have the fishing rods and stuff like that. So they're not hunting, but they are fishing Mm -hmm. and It's just to read their trip reports and, and the amount of insects that they come across. They've come across all these ancient, uh, like they find whatever stone dwellings from like, who knows how long ago. So they've taken it to the next level. They have taken their passion for the outdoors and now they're doing these huge trips, 30 day trip across the Angava Peninsula in Northern Quebec. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, the, the evolution from the Tim River in Algonquin Park to the Angava Peninsula, that's what I'm talking about. It's just people take their passion and evolve it. Yes. Into something so much bigger than most people do.
1: And for Lynette and Lester, they, it, again, it comes down to time and opportunity, mm-hmm. right? So Lynette has a, her own business, she does artwork and Lester, he is, I believe he's a a teacher. So they, they have, they can just take the time off. They can take a 30 day trip. They do often have trouble finding canoe partners because they, they, they normally like to go in groups of four to six for safety. So it, it, again, it's time and opportunity, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I say, I mean, where most people would be happy with the Tim River. Yes. Is this group of people, the, the, these paddlers that just aren't happy with the Tim River. <laughs> and those are the ones that really, but I think deep down, a lot of us are like that, you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, we talk about it saying if I had the time. The opportunity.
1: I, I would be so many other places yeah. right now, you know? Um, I don't know how many times somebody asked me, hey Derek, do you want to, do you want to go and do this trip? It's like. I'd love to do that, mm-hmm. but, uh, that's like a, you know, a 15 day trip and I can only get seven. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> again, it's time, opportunity, and often there's huge expenses too, like, uh, Banks Island. Yep. It'd be nice to do Banks Island. Uh, I don't know if I could find the time opportunity. It, it, we want to do this trip, but the expense is huge. That's the
0: ones that are gonna kill you. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, but then you've got. I
0: mean, we've we we've, we've got the people that just do their normal stuff. Then we got the guys that are doing something like the Hundred Lakes in a hundred days. And then we got people crossing the Ngava Peninsula. Then we got people crossing the country. And last year, uh, Freya Hofmeier Meister, sorry, Freya Hofmeister, was in the news. She finished. A circumnavigation
1: of South America. <laughs> now, did she, what, what, what's the circumnavigation? You're talking.
0: All around. Circumnavigation via Cape Horn and yep. the Panama Canal. Okay. Um, totally right around it. A 26,908 kilometer paddle.
1: She was allowed to paddle through the. Apparently he was allowed mm-hmm. to paddle through yeah. the Panama Canal. Yep. Now, I, I around Cape Horn, that's uh that's some pretty dangerous area mm-hmm. for weather. Um, there was points where
0: she was, yeah, definitely five days she was windbound at Cape Horn. Was she solo? Yep. Uh last ditch effort to I guess to to land, um, damaged her boat and her shattered her paddle. Huh. uh now, she didn't do this in one year. She'd planned to do it over the course of three years, three eight-month stages, uh, but it ended up taking four years. Nearly four years, they say, for 44 months. Um, so she's, yeah, the, the first ever kayak circumnavigation of the South American continent. Huh. And this was right after she did a record-shattering 2009 circumnavigation of Australia. Solo? Uh, that I don't know, but. She doesn't seem, doesn't seem to like people. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess the more you evolve your paddling, the less people you like. Yeah, I <laughs> or guess. Or the less that want to hang out <laughs> with you because you've just gone crazy. Um, but yeah, like almost 27,000 kilometers. Now there was one up the Amazon river, this wave hit her um, swept her five miles up, uh, a shallow river mouth at speeds of nearly 20 miles per hour. She was eating her dinner in her boat around, uh, a shallow sandbar waiting for the tide and it ar- arrived in the form of three foot, of a three foot wave. So the tidal bore. A tidal bore, just like And it Bay pushed her all the way up. <laughs> yeah. she it, I saved some time. Uh no, she wasn't <laughs> going that way. Um, <laughs> she ended up... Capsizing near the end, um, she was side surfed for about a quarter of an hour. Oh, wow! Oh, yeah, she was. She thought sh- that was it, that'd be horrifying. And she was. She, she's quoted as saying, I was fearing for my life, crying out for help in German, which is surely ridiculous in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Here she she's done it. Um and at one point she says she accepted a navy escort along Columbia's dangerous coast. Oh yes, that's true. She, there'd be quite a few dangerous areas that mm-hmm. she had to traverse. Yeah. So this is what she's done. So you can see how far people take their passion for paddling. Yeah. So when people ask why do you do this? Well no, because I want to get out and enjoy nature. Yeah. Don't look at me as a freak. <laughs> <laughs> Check what the people out there are doing and how far they're taking this stuff. And I mean, I'm just going to continue following all these people and, uh, you know, see where they, where they, where they go next sort of deal. Um, it's quite amazing. And you know what? If I hit, hit it rich, I'll be <laughs> joining these people.
1: That's all I'm saying. So if you were a millionaire, mm-hmm. you would get in a canoe or kayak and spent months at a time traversing say Canada, Mm -hmm. you're not going to go buy a yacht. Nope, (laughs) not at all.
0: No, that doesn't do it for me. Actually, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, if somebody were to give me a fully refurbished Volkswagen van. Oh, that would be cool, eh? Right, that I could camp in, throw my canoe on top. (laughs) If I'm a (laughs) million, you wouldn't see me again. You get a postcard (laughs) maybe once in a while and you go, how did he get there? (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd be, I'd be driving across and hitting all these paddling spots and, and just go, 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 go. Cause there's so much to see and do. There is. And places to visit, you know, so, well, I'm going to keep an eye on these people and see where they go. And, uh, Hey, if you got the passion for paddling, get out there and get on the water and, and see how far it takes you. More power to you. Be it in a canoe and a kayak and a raft on a paddleboard. People are doing it. I mean, they're, they're not happy with the local pond. They're taking it far beyond. Far, far beyond. Yeah. So, well, let's take a break here. And when we get back, uh, we are going to talk about the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness.
1: Yes, another Derek's destination.
0: All righty. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, The friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. Hey, this is Sean Rowley of Paddling Adventures Radio. When out on the water, a bad map can lead to a terrible paddling experience. That's why when paddling Tomogamy, Killarney and Algonquin Park, I've come to rely on Jeff's map. If you're looking for a waterproof, tear-resistant map with paddling routes, portage data, historical points, and much more, then go to jeffsmap.com and see the maps I use. Available in print or in a downloadable format, jeffsmap.com. Welcome back. We are going to talk uh, about something that I've I've seen a lot of from canoe trippers, and over the last while especially as uh been in the news for not so great reasons the boundary waters canoe area wilderness um massive massive us forestry uh park where canoe trippers and paddler like paddler's galore camping and and everything it's like uh, outdoor wilderness mecca um borders the quebec uh, uh ontario and uh minnesota um But there is trouble brewing because they are talking about putting a mine, uh, in the area of, um, boundary waters. And there's a lot of people up in arms because the potential for, um, sulfide and whatnot flowing into the, the watershed.
1: Um, now Derek, you've done a bunch of research on. I've done a little, I've looked into it and, uh, it's, it's impressive the, uh the size of the area. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's kind of mind boggling how much land that they did put aside in the early 1900s for parks, for parks area. And, and we're not talking just U.S., but the, the, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, it, uh, it's, it's a large part on the U.S. side, but on the Canadian side of the border, they also set aside a very large area for Quetico and, uh, for Lavantre uh, provincial parks. Yeah. It's, it's a huge area. It's like, it's mind boggling how much area has been set aside.
0: Well, when you look at it on a map, it's like almost from Thunder Bay to the Manitoba border, but on, on the U.S. side.
1: And look at it from Thunder Bay down to
0: Duluth. Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, when when we are always taught uh, Lake Superior looks like the wolf's head, and I mean, this goes from the, the 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 just above the eyes of a wolf right down to the tip of his nose. Yeah, it's if a you huge if you're looking area. at the map, yeah, it's
1: massive. That's a lot of canoeing. The square kilometer that we're talking about in this area is just, it's, it's mind boggling. And I don't know, I'm not sure what, I haven't got that far into the research because I was looking at it from a canoeing perspective, but, but to set aside that much land, I know Algonquin Park was set aside originally for, it was created as a park, but as a logging park, they wanted to right. preserve it, stop people from moving into it and protect it so that the loggers could continue to log it. Yep. Now this here area, is, is a rather remote area, and I'm not sure what prompted them to set it aside, but it's, to set aside that much land, it's, it's just staggering, and the forethought, the, 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 to think ahead and, and protect this, this natural area is, uh, it's incredible. The whole area is, uh, it's all set on it like there's a thin layer of soil and some from the northern end of boreal forest and down to coniferous forest Like get you're talking a huge area that changes as it goes but there's just a thin layer of dirt over uh pre rock of the canadian shield that's 2.7 billion years old right mm-hmm. so it's you know the uh the history in the area has been pretty much scrubbed clean every time there was a, you know, an ice age. So what, 12,000 years ago or yeah, 12,000 years ago, the last ice age receded. So it scoured the area, dug out any bowls for lakes and then whatever area might've rebounded. But for the most part, the lakes that are there are, I guess that you can consider them new lakes. Yeah. Because they they were just freshly scoured 12,000 years ago. (laughs) That's new. (laughs) But, uh, the, uh, what was it? The, the Boundary Waters area, the, that area that was set aside, it's, uh, it sees about 250,000 visitors a year. That's There's, a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Do you know what, what are the numbers for Algonquin Park? That, I, I don't
0: know that one anymore. Anyway, um, I, I thought it was. Al- yeah, it's not close to that.
1: I thought it was bigger than that. Algonquin? Yeah, wasn't it? I'll have to, I'll have to look, look into yeah. that. Yeah. But anyways, they do consider this, like this area, they call it the, uh, the most, the most popular canoe area in the world. Yeah. So it, it combined with Quetico and, uh, and Superior National Forest, it's a, it's a very large area of, uh, for, for canoeists, for backpacking, for hiking, for, for anything, right? The, uh, it, for Boundary Waters Canoe, uh, canoe Area Wilderness itself, there's, uh, the, they, they, I estimate there's about 2,000 backcountry campsites. It's, uh, there's about 1,900 kilometers of canoe routes. And then there's 12 significant hiking trails. It's, uh, it's about, uh, was at 4,400 square kilometers. The whole park itself is 4,400 square kilometers, 770 kilometers, about 20% is water. And the other 80% is mostly forest and woodland area. It, uh, it's always been protected. So it's old growth forest mm-hmm. and there's, so there's never been logging there. There have been quite a few forest fires in the area and I know there's the, a large swath of the area in, I think it was 99. The, there was a huge storm that came through uh, the U.S., Ontario, Quebec, and uh, a very large swath of trees throughout the Boundary Waters area was uh, was knocked down. And they've had prescribed burns over the last uh, oh since the since the hurricane came through, and uh, it. Uh, so they're doing prescribed burns to clear up the other, uh, the undergrowth and, and whatever from this big storm that came through. Although there was a very significant, uh, what was it? Uh, 1100 hectare, 1300 hectare fire in 2005 that they had to, uh, extinguish. So they're, they're trying to clean it up and clear it up and, and burn undergrowth to prevent any large scale fires like we saw in Woodland Caribou this summer. Right. And, uh, so... But it's just a, it's a huge area. It's very popular. It, uh, it, it's, what is it for, for me, it's about 17 hour drive to get there. And, uh, the more I look into it, it's like, it's a beautiful area. You go online and you look at, uh, one thing I've, I've gotten into in the last six months or so is, uh, you go to uh, Google maps and you go to satellite view. And when you zoom in on an area it populates the screen, the bottom end of the screen Google has, you can upload your own photos of a location. Yeah. So I can see all kinds of these photos of the, of people canoeing and camping in the area. It's like, it's breathtaking. It's beautiful. It reminds me very much of Algonquin park. Well, when
0: you look at it on the map, um, you see to the west, the western portion of this, uh, superior national forest, there's not a ton of lakes. But through Quetico and and both sides of the border and towards Superior,
1: there's an awful lot of small lakes. And that's the area that they call the Boundary Waters, the the, the large swath south is called the uh, Superior National Forest. Yeah. That's (laughs) that's huge, 16,000 square kilometers. Yeah. There's 3.9 million acres in that area of the Superior National Forest. And uh, when you start combining the areas, what? 4,400 square kilometers for Boundary Waters. There's uh 4,700 square kilometers for Quetico and 16,000 square kilometers for Superior National Forest. And i never did look into La but, uh, it's, it's not as big, but it's a, it's still a significant chunk of park. Yeah. And so the Boundary Waters area itself, which it follows the border, the Canada-US border, that's where all the waterways are like. 2,000 or 1,900 kilometers of canoe routes in the area alone, right? And then you go into Quetico and there's another 2,000 campsites, uh, you know, 1,500 kilometers of canoe routes. It's, the area is just, you could get lost in there for a long time. You you wouldn't have to worry about coming across other people. It's your, your true isolation. And if you really want to get back to nature and enjoy a nice week away or a couple weeks away, it's the place to go to.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, just, just like I say, the size of it and there's roads that go through that you can launch from anywhere if you're looking to go canoeing or camping or, or, uh, any type of paddling in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's tons of jump off points and, and, uh, you know, you get the waterfalls in there. I mean, there's a, um, there's a big falls over that way. It's right on the border and I can never remember the name of it. Um, but it's, it's, uh, one of the border crossings. Okay. In there. And it's right up in there. Um, and for life me, I can't remember the name of it, but it's right. It's
1: right across the border. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean that you see all that scenery up there.
1: Well, there's so much. There's so much to see in the area. It's uh, it's it's a very well protected area. Some of the areas are so popular that it, you need to enter a lottery to get your park pass to enter some of the areas like Moose Lake and whatnot. But uh, overall, it's um, everything is permitted. You have to have a permit either Quetico or for Boundary Waters, and so they, I think they limit you to fourteen days on a single site and stuff like that but it's uh it's a very controlled it reminds me very much again of Algonquin Park the way it's controlled and and the limits and and they, they along their website they have this whole um, this the uh, you know about planning and the basics for for going to the park and of course like every decent park you know they have a leave no trace principles
0: yeah oh yeah i've read on there that there's a, a lot of stuff about the leave no trace
1: yes Which is key, which is key to protecting any natural waterway or any natural park area. It's, you want people to be careful and cognizant of what they are doing in the back country. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep it for uh, everybody else, right? Future generations Mm -hmm. and all. Yes. So one thing that I did find interesting though is, uh, is right along the border, it's, it's the, is what's called the Laurentian Divide. So it's between the Great Lakes watershed, it's east side of, uh. Of the watershed, so on the on the east, so I guess the northeast area from Quetico, it's the Hudson Bay watershed, and if you are in the uh, on south of the Laurentian Divide where you're in the boundary waters is the Great Lakes watershed. So I guess you could say if you, uh, if you go, if you pee in Quetico Park, you're peeing in Hudson Bay. If you pee in the boundary waters, you're peeing in the Great Lakes. (laughs) 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 Everything flows one way or the other. And all of these, they consider the Quetico, the headwaters for all the waterways that flow into uh, Hudson Bay up north. Right. And uh, the boundary waters area, and because of this watershed area, the Boundary Waters is the headwaters for most of the Great Lakes and the Great Lakes is refilled and refreshed by the water from the Boundary Waters. And that's, I think the main concern and what we've seen in the news in the past couple of years, they've, uh, uh, what is it, copper and sulfur mining?
0: Yep. Sulfide mining. Sulfide yeah. mining. So that's, that's the big uh, thing in the news right now is they're, um, trying to protect the Boundary Waters from sulfide mining pollution. Yes, you know they're saying the stuff can the could could back up and get into the the watershed.
1: Exactly, it's not so much that the the mines are not in the Boundary Waters Park. It's outside no, the park, outside. but it affects the 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 headwaters. It it the, the watershed, and, res, and and result is it, it'll populate, it'll pollute the area. Mm-hmm. So that's the main concern, and that's what some of the some of the uh, issues that we're facing with the area and the controversy that we're seeing. Uh, Right now, there's a a bill that's been proposed by uh, Representative Betty McCollin. She's looking to block any nearby mining for Boundary Waters area. So it's, you know, again, back to the park itself. It's a beautiful park. You know, it's uh, once the history of the area and once you cross the divide, they call it the the height of land portage, and uh, so the, uh, on the Laurentian Divide, when the voyageurs were crossing west, and when they were crossing this height of land, it's uh, they would always have this voyageur ceremony. It's very significant, and you know it, it's because you were crossing the height of land and you were changing from one watershed to another. So they always had ceremonies, and kind of makes me think. I wonder if anybody else does that nowadays. Yeah, go go
0: the way with the dodo sort of thing and all yes, the little traditions. Yeah. But I mean they do that sort of thing when uh, crossing is it the international dateline or something yep, like that. In the, the ocean they yeah.
1: people still do that type of thing.
0: Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if they do that mm-hmm. still. I guess if you know the know the uh ritual then if you have somebody that's never crossed yes. it before, then you'll probably do it.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure it's a quite twi- quite different from P- crossing the national, uh, dateline, uh, in the, across the equator and stuff like or crossing the equator ceremony. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's, it's interesting to, to read about the, the history of the area. And, but it's also nice that because, you know, back in the day in the early 1900s, when this land was set aside and the, they still, We are still trying to protect it. Uh, You know, like for example, snowmobiles are still not allowed in the area. There's limitations on any motorboats or power, power, watercraft in the area. It's, it's, we're still protecting it. And that's what we need to do and continue, continue to do for, for these areas that we want to hand down to future generations.
0: Yeah. You start looking through all the, the rules and the regs and they're not very different from Algonquin Park at all.
1: And it makes sense. Like any park worth its salt is going to develop a certain set standard for protecting itself. So everybody's, I think, is going to gravitate naturally on their own to a certain set of rules and guidelines to protect the back country. Yeah. So it makes sense that they, that the rules are going to be very similar.
0: Uh, yeah, they, they, they've got to be, you know, and it makes it easier if you want to cross the board and check out these new spots, mm-hmm. you
1: know. Well, it's interesting too, considering crossing the border that, uh, you can enter Quetico Park and, uh, you could, <laughs> you could cross the border there into the U.S. without any border controls. Well, and then you got to cross back. Yes. <laughs> Where's my duty free? Well,
0: I, am for one, I'm going to keep an eye on uh, what goes on with the mining, uh, yes. up there. And, uh. I'm going to plan a future trip. I think you should. <laughs> and let us know how it goes. Maybe, maybe we'll go with you. <laughs> Excellent. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio, whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. I find it fascinating how people have taken their paddling uh, and evolved it into something bigger than just paddling their local ponds. Taking it to the next level. Definitely taking it to the next level. If you've done something like that, drop us a line and let us know how you're taking your paddling to that, to that next level. And if you've gone to Boundary Waters and paddled it. We want to hear from you. We definitely do. We like to hear back on stuff like that and especially if we're planning on going. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this week's show. Check us out on paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook and
1: Instagram. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.